We're going to go ahead and get started. Genesis chapter 12, if you would. Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, and uh, Happy New Year, by the way. Uh, January 1st, here we are. And uh, obviously, you all did not party too late last night, because you made it to Sunday school. So, uh, Genesis chapter 12, and verse number 1, we get into, uh, of course, uh, last week we didn't have Sunday school hour, but uh, a couple weeks ago we were talking about the Tower of Babel and the... Uh, the choices men make at that particular moment. And then we get to chapter 12, and uh, someone in particular shows up now. Uh, As you look back over the last couple of chapters, you get into, uh, of course, uh, the lineages in chapters 10 uh, and 11, and a lot of the lineages are there. That uh, time, I think Brother Russ and I were talking, uh, the Tower of Babel is kind of Parenthetical, it's kind of slid into that spot right there. Uh, as they spread out, uh, it's obviously earlier in the, in the lineage. It's not all the way out where they start saying where all of them go and where they go to their tongues and their nations and so on. And so it's kind of a parenthetical spot there where he talks about the Tower of Babel. Uh, and out of those people come, uh, come the people of Shem, uh, Shem's descendants. And out of those, uh, of course, you find at the end of chapter 11, you find a man named Abram who shows up. And uh, chapter 12, the Lord finds out, uh, decides he's going to do something in particular with Abram. In verse number one, now the Lord, here in Genesis chapter 12, verse one, now the Lord had said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that cursed thee and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. And so here's Abram. He starts out as Abram, and we know later his name gets changed to Abraham. Uh, and so that's, that's going to be something we see here later. But, uh, of course, Abram, so forgive me if I say Abraham, uh, force a habit there to his later name. Uh, but Abram is here, and the Lord sees him and calls him in particular uh, to go and decides he is going to bless him. Uh, above everybody else. And so uh, right here you find out that God uh, is the person who decides who he's going to bless and who he's not going to bless. That's, that's pretty obvious right here. God decides who he's going to put his blessings upon and who he's not. Now there's conditions to God's blessings, and we'll get into some of that maybe in a little bit, but uh, there's conditions to God's blessings. You can't have it for if certain things are happening. But uh, on the other hand, you also have uh, the truth that God... I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy, and I'll show compassion on whom I'll have compassion. Uh, He lets you know, when I feel like it, I'll give it. And when I don't feel like it, you're not going to make me give it. Uh, And so that's who God is, and he chooses Abram. Now, uh, let's have a word of prayer before I get rolling here, because otherwise I'm going to just get into the lesson. I'm going to forget to pray. So we're going to go ahead and pray this morning. Father, I thank you for the morning, and I thank you for your goodness, for your mercies, your compassions upon us. Father, I'm glad that you gave us, Father, another morning, another day, another Sunday, and Father, another year, uh, Lord, to start off with, and Father, a new start uh, in our minds anyways, Lord, for what you could do for us this year and what we could do for you. 
And Lord, I do pray that you would just grant us wisdom. Uh, even today, as we look at the scriptures, I pray you'd help us to see the things we ought to see and understand what we need to understand. And Father, maybe speak to us. Uh, Lord, maybe even through some familiar passages, you'd speak to us this morning and let us know, uh, Father, what great things you're doing. And Father, what we could do maybe a little different, a little better. And Father, once again, we pray if someone walks in today without the Savior, they wouldn't leave that way, that today would be the day of salvation for them and they'd call upon you even now. Lord, we pray that Jesus Christ would be high and lifted up. We pray you'd be with our pastor and his wife as they uh, travel home here this week. We pray you'd protect them. But Father, once again, we pray that you would come back soon in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So here we are, uh, Genesis chapter 12. And first thing you know about it is you've got uh, him. He is coming. Uh, Abram is supposed to get out of his country and his kindred. Uh, we know earlier that, uh, of course, that Abram is from Ur of the Chaldees. Uh, it'll be uh, up in Mesopotamia, southern Mesopotamia, by the Euphrates River. That's where he would be. He'd be north uh, and probably east of the land of Israel. And uh, he is asked to go. And uh, overall, the Chaldeans were known to be moon god worshipers. Uh, and so he is about to go ahead and, and leave that area and leave that god and leave everything that his family knows to go where God's telling him to go. Uh, something different uh, and something entirely different. He's getting called out uh, and ultimately uh, he, is, he is chosen to go in a different direction. Abram goes ahead and does so, uh, but the truth is that uh, regardless of what his family is doing, Abraham, Abram knew at that particular moment what God was telling him. Uh, that's very particular. I think it's very fitting this morning, when it's starting a new year, uh, that although some other people may not go the same direction you're going to go, uh, that you choose the way God wants you to go. Uh, and it doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. It doesn't matter what, uh, what, what's going on in your country. It doesn't matter what's going on in your family. It doesn't matter about any of those things. It matters what you're going to do and what direction you're going to go. Uh, the choice you're going to make, whether you're going to walk with God or not, whether you're going to go where he told you to go or not. And so Abram is going to have to make a choice here. And God, uh, God has decided, and He's been deciding all the way through through the start of humanity in Genesis uh, chapter two, chapter three. God is desiring a relationship with His creation, and God's desire is that the world would know Him. And by the grace of God, He reaches down and calls Abram, and uh, He appears to him. And he tells Abram to leave his country, leave his family, leave that land and go to a brand new place uh, and go ahead and trust him. Uh, we know this is the Abrahamic covenant right here. This is the covenant God makes with Abram, uh, with Abraham. And it uh, turns out to be an everlasting covenant later. We find out it's everlasting. Uh, this covenant has not stopped. Uh, this is the start of the covenant right here. And it is that, Abram, I chose you. Uh, amazingly enough, the Abrahamic covenant is not conditional upon Abram. It is completely conditional because God chose him. You find that from Abram to Abraham, Isaac, and then to Jacob or Israel, and then to the 12 patriarchs. He chose each one of them in order and decided to give it to them. That's who he passed it to. And he chose who he would bless. Uh, you realize God, people go, well, uh, you know, God, I mean, uh, can't we all just be the same? Aren't we all equal? Well, evidently not. <laughs> I 
we're not all equal. That, that is a fallacy. <laughs> Say, how do you know that? Because we're not equal. <laughs> how, many, how many of us are good at math? And how many of us are terrible at math? <sighs> well, then we're not equal. Say, <laughs> so, well, that balances out somewhere else. Probably not. <laughs> you have no guarantee that you're smarter than somebody else or, or better than somebody else or the equivalent of somebody else. But men, but men think that, well, we just we have to have it all the same. Well, it's not all the same. <laughs> he chose Abraham over everybody else. <laughs> he chose one guy on the entire planet. He did it earlier. He did it with Noah. He chose one guy on the entire planet <laughs> and said, I'm going to reveal everything to you about what I'm about to do. <laughs> he looks at Abram and says, I'm going to choose you. <laughs> Abraham has two kids, Ishmael. <laughs> And Isaac, you know what he says? I'm choosing Isaac. Oh, that's not fair. Too bad. <laughs> You're right, it's not fair. It's not supposed to be fair. The idea that God is going to go ahead and make everything the same for everybody else doesn't work that way. So well, why does he bless one person more than the other? Sometimes it's just because he felt like it. Now, we don't like that answer. We really don't like that. Well, you mean he would do that for them and not for me? No, he could do that for you if he wanted to. And maybe he's waiting for you to do something so he can do it. I don't know. But the truth is that he just knows what's best. So he decides who he's going to bless and when he's going to do it. Well, I don't like that idea. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you because he's God, so he's right. And that's the problem that man has. Man has the idea that they're going to be right. And God says, no, I'm right. And I'm going to bless who I'm going to bless. Was, was Abram perfect? Well, absolutely not. We already know that. We're going to see that here real quick. That Abram already is messing this thing up before he even gets going too far. And really, before he even gets going, he's already going to mess it up. But God says, I still chose him. Isn't that amazing? And we'll get into some of that here in just a moment. But the truth is God chose Abram and he made the covenant with Abram and he chooses that he's going to make him a great nation, the nation of Israel ultimately. Uh, and that Abraham uh, is going to get land because that's what a nation is. It's not just the people, it's the land that they get. It's the country they have. Uh, he says he's going to bless Abraham in particular, and he's going to make his name great. That's a pretty good deal. Notoriety, importance, and that he would also be a blessing through him to all the families of the earth. What you do with Israel determines the blessings you get or don't get. If you don't have them right, it's not going to work well. In these shall all families of the earth be blessed. Uh, he would bless those that bless thee and curse those that curse him. There it is. It is the question of how do you deal with Israel. That covenant has not changed since that day right there that God spoke to Abram. That covenant has not gone away. It has not diminished. It has not changed in any way. 
That is the promise God gave Abram, and he has not changed his covenant. So, well, you know, he's left off. And this is where you get uh, into, and I, I can't get really far into it here. Uh, otherwise, I'll never finish this lesson. Uh, but the truth is, uh, there's this huge movement, and it's been there, and it's always been there. Uh, and I mean, it's been there ever since, since Genesis chapter 12, practically it's been there. Uh, and the truth is that mankind wants to replace Israel. It's called replacement theology. That's the big idea. And it's that ultimately the blessings that Israel gets and all the greatness that Israel has, uh, God has done with Israel. So he's replaced them with the church. He's replaced them with Catholicism. He's replaced them with the Muslims. He's replaced them with every other religion on the planet, basically. That's, that's replacement theology. The problem is you get to Romans and you find out that God isn't done with Israel. <laughs> and that if you think that, you're foolish and you're ignorant concerning the things that God has promised. And the other trouble you get into is uh, your salvation's everlasting. Okay? If Israel's covenant with God is not everlasting... And he calls it the everlasting covenant, then you and I are in trouble. If he can end theirs, he can end yours whenever he feels like it. That makes God a liar. And now you're in even more trouble. And I won't keep going because if I do, we're going to be here a long time. But these are the blessings that the people of the Tower of Babel wanted. Just a couple chapters, just the last chapter, chapter 11. The Tower of Babel, what did they want? Well, they wanted, they wanted a city, <laughs> a heavenly city. Well, isn't that what Abram gets in Hebrews chapter 11? He gets a heavenly country with a heavenly city whose builder and maker is God. Uh, they wanted a great name. That's what Abram gets. He gets a great name. They wanted a secure land so they wouldn't be scattered. Let's go ahead and keep it together. God says, I'll keep you together. Land promise. And here he is. And Abram has those things if he wants them. Now, Abraham uh, goes ahead and that's his calling. Uh, but he kind of stalled out a little bit right away. Uh, in chapter 11 and verse 27, you get his lineage. Uh, now these are the generations of Terah. Terah begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran begat Lot. And Haran died before his father Terah in the land of his nativity in Ur of the Chaldees. And Abram and Nahor took them wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. But Sarai was barren, she had no child. And Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his son's son, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. And they went forth with them from Ur the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan, and they came unto Haran. And dwelt there. And the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. And so we find out God told him to get up and to go, and he's called, and he took some people with him, and he lingers. He didn't make it immediate. Instead, he was told to leave his family behind, but instead, everybody's there. Terah and his brothers, Nahor and Everybody's there. His father dies. It's after that that Abram finally goes ahead and goes to Canaan. He's waiting. Now even then he takes Lot with him. He keeps Lot even longer. 
but he goes ahead and he's stalled out here. He's waiting. Uh, many times you don't have the blessings of God because you've decided to go ahead and stall out and wait. Well, my situation's not what I want it to be. Well, you know, uh, let me say goodbye to my family. Wasn't that the problem? Well, you know, I have, this, I have this responsibility that I need to do, and I need to deal with this, and I need to go this way, and I need to take care of this before I could ever. And the Lord says, how about you let me worry about those things, and you go ahead and just do what I asked. We're worried about our circumstances, and God says, no, just worry about my obedience. Worry about obeying me. I'll take care of the circumstances because I already know your circumstances. Uh, doesn't God know our circumstances? He knows everything we're dealing with. He knows the problems. He knows the mess we've made, ultimately. Most of the time, by the way, uh, the problems, I'm going to get preaching here in just, for just a second. Uh, most of the problems we get into are self-made problems. They're not problems God made for us. Uh, they're problems we've generally created for ourselves, and then we turn around and go, well, God, I can't do what you asked because I entangled myself with the affairs of this life, uh, and I've messed some things up, and so now I'm stuck, and I feel like I can't go. And God says, you let me worry about your circumstances. I already told you to go. I can take care of whatever you've messed up before because I've already taken care of your mistakes. <laughs> I'm really, God's really good at cleaning up our mistakes. Uh, he's done it over and over and over again. Uh, and he picks up the pieces and he makes us look way better than we are. And he does it over and over again. <laughs> And he looks at Abram and he says, uh, I need you to go. And Abram's holding on to people that he's not supposed to hold on to. Uh, Abram was supposed to go, but he's putting off the blessings because he is just using the usual excuses. He's stalling and waiting to do what God told him to do. Now, faith, ultimately, we have a whole lot of obstacles when it comes to our faith, uh, we get reluctant because we don't understand how everything's working. Don't you like it better when you know how it's all going to work out? <laughs> Isn't that amazing? <laughs> I'm a whole lot calmer when I see the actual result of what's going to happen here. Okay, I can see the end, so I'm good. Well, let's, let's run with that. <laughs> it's right up until you get there before you can see what that end is and that fog is all in the way and you're going, I don't really know what way I'm supposed to be going right. I don't like this because I don't know. And Lord says, yeah, but faith is the reason that I told you to go that way. You got to trust me. You have to trust that I know the end, that I know the final result, that I know what's beyond what you can see. And instead you can trust that I have everything under control. And that's, that's one of the biggest struggles is we don't like the unknown. We're reluctant because we don't want to, we just like doing things our own way. We get in trouble because we like it our way and we don't like to relinquish that control. Even if we can see the end, we go, yeah, but I don't, I don't want to go that way to get there. I have a better way. Isn't that, isn't that true? I mean, isn't that how you drive, gentlemen? Uh, right? We all know a better way. I'm going to go, my GPS is stupid. I'm going another way. I know what I'm doing. It will adjust. Calculating. Recalculating. Recalculating. That's what it does. We go, don't worry. You don't need to recalculate. I know where I am. And then next thing you know, you're, how do I get back out of here? Um, the 
Lord says, I know where you're going and I know the best way to get you there. You know, it's funny. Uh, the children of Israel, and later we know this. I need to hurry. I'm going to be in trouble. Um, but uh, the children of Israel, right, they're coming into the promised land. They're coming in and the Lord's got them and they're an army. The Lord called them an army and in they're coming. And he's already, he's already taken care of Egypt. He's already taken care of Jericho. And he says, uh, I need you to go this way. I need you to go around. And they're going to go around over to the east side of the Jordan before they cross over and go into the land. Why did he do that? Now, for one, we understand he, said, he tells them the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. I don't want to kill those people yet. It wouldn't be just enough for me. I don't feel justified enough to let you wipe them out. So go around for me. But you realize the reason he did it has nothing to do with the Amorites. It doesn't even have anything to do with the nation of Israel. Except for the fact that when the king shows up, that's the route he's about to take. Second advent of Jesus Christ, he takes the route he purposely sent them on. He encompasses the land first, crosses the Jordan coming from east to west, so that he can go into Jerusalem on that side. So what was he doing? He was telling them what he needed them to do so that the children of Israel would understand later, I did you exactly the way you were supposed to go because I needed you to go that way. Why does Moses get in trouble? Because he ruined a type of what God wanted to do later. He didn't listen. Because God was showing Jesus Christ as the rock and he struck the rock the second time. And the Lord's like, you just ruined the picture I had for that. I was my son. I was, I was showing him that they were going to be stricken the first time and you'd have to have him peaceably the second time. And you, Moses, you ruined it for me. <laughs> Israel, I need you to go around. Why? Uh, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Plus, uh, what I'm not going to tell you is it's going to be the perfect route that I'm going to take when I come back second time and come to sit on my throne and rule and the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. Uh, that day is the day that I was setting up for. <laughs> well, yeah, but I don't know what he's doing. Sometimes he makes you go the long way. Why? So you can learn what you need to learn before you get the thing that he needs you to get. You go, well, isn't it better this way? No, it's not better that way. You don't know better. We, we really don't know better. We don't understand it sometimes, and I get it, but... His ways are not our ways, and we need to do things His way. And sometimes it's just straight fear. You're scared of the way that He's going to take you. You're scared because you don't know the end. You're scared because you do not like the idea of the blessing that you know you should be getting, but maybe the blessing is something you go, you're afraid of the blessing. You want the blessing, but you're still afraid of what's going to happen when you get it. <laughs> Isn't that funny? You're afraid of how people will look just because you're the one who got it. You're afraid that somebody might get jealous of you and unhappy with you. You're afraid that people won't understand that God would bless you like that. And you'd lose friends over blessings. You ever lose a friend over a blessing you got that the Lord gave you that they didn't get? And you saw it coming. What is that? You get afraid of the blessing sometimes. 
Because you go, they just don't understand. And they don't know why I needed that so much. And I don't know why God's being that good to me, but he is. And I know I don't deserve it, but he gave it. I don't control what he gives. Sometimes it's just fear. Sometimes it's fear of failure. It's fear of failing to get to the place where you actually get the blessing. Well, maybe I'm not going to make it. Maybe it's not going to, maybe I'm going to fail it. And maybe it's just not going to go the way it's supposed to go. And maybe that cripples people from getting the blessing they're supposed to get. And oftentimes it is because you and I don't, don't trust that God can handle it. Now we wouldn't say that. <laughs> Who'd say that? <laughs> no saved person I know is like, God's not, no, he can't do that. I mean, he's, does he think he is God? I mean, nobody's saying that. Everybody's like, yeah, God can do anything, but it's me. I'm the failure. We know that. We're the failure. Uh, but doesn't he establish and strengthen and settle you? Isn't that his job? Isn't it he that calleth you, will all, he will also do it? Well, then there's no fear of failure if you're doing it in him. Because it's all about him. There's a lot of obstacles to fear. We can keep going on that. I won't, but uh, are on faith. And faith gets, in, gets a lot of obstacles because people refuse. They don't want to trust and relinquish control to God. Faith ultimately is God said it and I'm going to do it because God told me to do it. And we get all questionable sometimes about whether or not God's telling us something. You ever notice that? You ever, you ever notice where you're like, Lord, uh, I know you told me that, but, uh, you know, could you put, could you put, you know, the dew on the, on the fleece and let the grass be dry? Oh, and can you let the fleece be dry and the grass be wet? And can we see if we could do this about 20 more times before I finally figure out that you told me to do this? This would be great. If you could just, uh, repeatability, it's going to take me about four months to figure out that you told me this. You say, what are you doing? You're just stalling. You're just stalling. You know what he wanted. And, well, I just need one more verse. <laughs> I've been there. I've been there. I just need one more. If you could just give me one more to tell me that I ought to be... Lord was like, I gave you 40 of them. What more do you need? Like, well. So what's the problem? The problem is you don't trust him. You don't trust him. And maybe you don't trust him and I'm, yeah, I'm going to say it. <laughs> this is just. Like, that's just mean. That's all you're going to think after I say this. And maybe you don't trust him because your relationship with him is not very good. Your problem is not him. Your problem is that your relationship with him, you haven't been working on your side, and so you don't have the trust factor you should have. Anyways, I'm going to move on because that's depressing. All right. Uh, Notice what God does, though. God reminds, reminds Abram again. Look at verse number 6 here of chapter 12. And he says in Genesis 12, 6, uh, And Abram uh, passed through the land onto the place of, Shechem, of Sechem, uh, onto the plain of Morah, 
and the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, unto, the, unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Uh, the Lord shows up. And uh, the Lord reminds him, he looks over that land of Canaan, he's going, he's starting to go, he's kind of, he's getting his momentum a little bit, finally rolling, right? He'd slowed down a little and he gets there and he sees the people of the land of Canaan. He looks out and he sees that land and he goes, uh, well, the Canaanites there, <laughs> this place is inhabited. Mm -hmm. And the Lord just wants to remind him that although the Canaanites are in the land, I'm the one who told you to go. It's my promise that you're going to have the land of Canaan. It's not your idea that you decided you're going to go and take it. It is that I told you that that's the land. Onto, onto thy seed will I give this land. It's my job to give it to you. He's reassuring, I will takes all of the pressure and all of the responsibility off of you and puts it on God. Uh, let, me, let me put it this way. Uh, you, you go to witness to somebody, you're talking to them, you're giving them the gospel, uh, and the Bible says that Paul makes the statement right that he planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the increase. You're out winning souls, you're knocking on doors, you're witnessing to somebody at work or whatever, you're talking to somebody and you're giving them a witness and they don't get saved. Now we get discouraged, we, we wanted them to get saved, we get a little downtrodden, but is it your fault that they didn't get saved? Well, no, that's not your fault. You give them the gospel, I gave them the gospel, okay, well, is it your fault they didn't trust Christ? Well, no. Whose fault is it? Well, it's theirs, right? It was their responsibility. God is the one who gives the increase. He gave them light. He gave them wisdom. He gave them the understanding. He's, he's enlightening them. And instead, maybe it's not their day to trust Christ yet. And the Lord goes ahead and he does, his word will accomplish the thing whereunto he sent it. And maybe that day the thing he needed to accomplish was that they needed to get a little water or get a little seed because they hadn't really had much before. And you don't know what it's doing, but he knows what it's doing. And you get done and you think, boy, I don't know, did I, you know, and you start going over the, over the checklist, right? <laughs> did I say this right? And did I do that right? And was I too hard on him over here? And did I, you know, did I kind of, and it's okay to do that for a moment. Think, hey, could I have done something better for next time? Right? I'm good with that. I like to do that. Uh, is there something I could have done different where they may have trusted Christ? Could I have said something better? Could I have done something better? Right? Work on your technique. I'm all for that. But when you dwell on that, you know what you'll be? You'll be worried about the next time. And the next time you won't go ahead and do it because you're too worried that you're the one doing it. You're not the one doing it. Witnessing to somebody ought to be a liberating thing. Witnessing to them shouldn't put you in bondage and fear. It should be liberating because God's the one who's going to perform the thing that he wants to perform. All your job is, is to give them the gospel and tell them the truth that Jesus can save them. 
Well, I did that. Okay. Nothing to worry about then. The only thing you got to worry about is actually telling them. And when you do that, God says, all the rest of the responsibility is mine. I send the Holy Ghost, and they may grieve the Holy Ghost, and they may quench the Holy Ghost, and they may do all the things they can do to get the Holy Ghost to be quiet and not convict them and not put them down and not put them in the place where they'll be humbled and they won't humble and they'll stand up in their pride and in their arrogancy and say that they don't need a Savior and they don't need Jesus and they're not going to do it today and they're going to... But that's not my problem. My goal is just get them the gospel. Who's responsible? The Lord is. He's responsible for his part. And he puts the conviction on it. He does his thing and they trust Christ and they get the, he gets all the glory and they don't trust Christ. You know what he gets? He gets all the glory still. Because it'll accomplish what he wants. When you're doing his will, you know what you find? That it ought to be liberating. That's why his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Paul's praying, right? And he's talking about his prayer life. He's talking about all the things he does. And beside this, the care of all the churches. You go, boy, that's a lot of weight. Maybe not. Not a lot of weight if it's his, if it's his will and his way and his church. I cared about him and he wanted, and, but the truth was, the Lord, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Was Jesus lying? Well, then when you start making it about a burden and it's a weight and it's weighing too much, you know what you've done? You've taken it out of his will and put it in yours. When the cares and the concerns and the troubles become yours instead of his, you have now taken the weight that you shouldn't have. And it's now going to be your will and you're going to make it happen as opposed to his will and let him happen. The Lord's trying to release his burden. Reassure him, take the pressure off. Hey, I'm the one who's giving you this land. I'm giving you it. It's my job to give you the blessing. You don't worry about the blessing. I take care of the blessing. You just keep doing what I told you to do. I'll take care of the blessing. Abraham built an altar to sacrifice and to worship uh, because he's finally worshiping. He's worshiping God. He's showing God that he's going to trust him. That's what that's supposed to signify. That's a signifying of worshiping God that God gave him that promise. He's going to trust him. In order to follow God, you must be willing to sacrifice, obey, and have faith. That's how we follow him. We sacrifice what he tells us to leave behind. We obey him by going, and we do it all in faith. We trust him. Now, Abraham goes forward, but he makes, God's going to give him a little test here. And he get to verse number 10, and God's going to give him this test, and Abraham's going to fall. Abraham's not going to stand up to the test. Hey, what's the test? Famine. Verse, one, verse 10 and there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. And it came to pass, when he was come near to enter into Egypt, that he said unto Sarai his wife, Behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass, when the Egyptians shall see thee, they sh that they shall say this is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister." 
that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. And it came to pass that when Abram was come into Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman that she was very fair. The princes also of Pharaoh saw her and commended her before Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house, and he entreated Abram well for her sake. And he had sheep and oxen and he asses and men servants and maid servants and she asses and camels. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Why didst thou not tell me that she was thy wife? Why didst thou say she is my sister? I might have taken her to me to wife. Now therefore, behold thy wife, take her and go thy way. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away, and his wife and all that he had. Uh, so God's going to give God's going to give Abram a little test here. He's going to give him a test of famine. He's not going to have everything that he wants right away. And he tests him with famine to see if he is going to trust and stay in the land where God told him to go and trust that the Lord will provide where he is or go and find something else. And you find this this particular trait shows up repeatedly with the nation of Israel from this point on. Over and over again, you know what Israel does? Instead of trusting in God to provide their need, they go back to Egypt. They go back to a picture of the world and a confidence in the flesh and they go back to those things to gain the blessings that they want to have, not in the timing God wants them to have it. The children of Israel will do that for, I mean, you get all the way out into the minor prophets, and what are they doing? Oh, well, Egypt's the one who has blessed us. We're going to go back to Egypt and get, we're going to partner with Syria, and we're going to partner with, because they've made us great. <laughs> when the Lord's the one who made them great. He, they go back to Egypt repeatedly. Uh, Canaan illustrates a life of faith and victory in the Lord. And Egypt is a type of the world and your flesh that is you just keep trusting in. And the Lord's going, I need, you, I need you to take this little test I'm giving you and trust me. And he doesn't. He goes down. Abraham abandons uh, his tent. He abandons his altar. He goes down to Egypt and the Lord says in Isaiah chapter 31, Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help and stay on horses and trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong, but they look not unto the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Lord. Woe unto them that do what? Keep going to Egypt for your help. Why is it that a saved man can't figure out that his lost friends are not his best friends? I don't understand that. I don't understand why a lost man and a lost friend of yours knows more about the problems you're having than uh, some Christian who'd actually pray for you and help you. Why is that? Why does lost friends and family get to hear more about the problems that you're going through? And you know what that does? All that does for them is think, well, the Lord's not very good to them. How come the Lord, how come the Lord doesn't? I mean, if that's the kind of God they have... Why don't they call on him? Why isn't he doing something about it? So what does that do? It just makes it just makes the Lord look bad to a lost world. That's why you're supposed to make your complaint before the Lord. That's why you don't go to the world for all those things. 
You go to him for all those things. You go to your, you go to your saved family for all those things. Why? Because hopefully they give you something from God. As opposed to the world's mentality. The world's mentality will leave you sunk. Because that's the one you were with the whole time you were lost. The world's mentality. And you get into more and more trouble because you decide you're going to go down to Egypt. Abram's going to go, go ahead and get himself into more trouble. He goes ahead and puts his trust in Egypt. Then he trusts in a lie because he's afraid of what Pharaoh or his people might do because Sarai was so pretty. Abram obviously forgets about God. Hey, I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to take care of you. I've got you. Everything's all under control. I will make of thee a great nation. In thee shall all nations of the earth be blessed. Why are you going to another nation? To go get what you need. If God's the one who's going to give you all the blessings, why are you going somewhere else for them? He doesn't need to. But he keeps choosing. He chooses to go. God forgets. Abraham forgets all about God. Eventually, Pharaoh figures out what's going on and sends him away in disgust. And God has to use an unbelieving Pharaoh to go ahead and kick his own, his own uh, promised one. He goes ahead and rebukes Abram and tells him, why are you lying to me? Why are you bringing judgment on me and my house because you decided to lie to me? By the way, that also tells you that your lies will go ahead and contaminate everybody else around you and bring judgment to them because they'll go ahead and believe your lie. And you'll get them in trouble. And they don't even know why they're in trouble, but they're in trouble. And they're in trouble because of you. And he has to use an unbelieving king to go ahead and rebuke, rebuke Abram and tell him that he's doing it wrong and kick him out. Go somewhere else. I don't want to deal with you. You know, you and I are not a uh, savor of life to a world. We're a savor of death. Um, but it ought to be because we're preaching the gospel at them and not because we're lying and deceiving them. God still provides divine protection because he could have died right there. The king could have, Pharaoh could have had him killed. And still taken Sarah. <laughs> if he wanted to. Or he could have killed both of them. And he'd have been just in doing it. But instead, he sends him away. Lord protects him. And he sends him away and puts him back into the place where he needs to go. And in spite of all the things that Abram has done, God still gives him blessings. For going, even though he went down to Egypt, even though he didn't trust him, even though he didn't go that way, God goes, you're going to know that I got you out of this. And I'm going to go ahead and get you some blessings on your way out the door. Hey, um, Hey, Abram, take all this stuff with you because I don't ever want to see you come back. That's what Pharaoh's doing. Pharaoh's going, just take all this stuff with you. That way, uh, I never have to see you again. Don't ever come back here because you aren't getting anything from us again. Get out of here. <laughs> Say, that's not really the best way to get blessings. Nope. And the Lord could have blessed him far more if he'd have stayed in Canaan. If Abram thinks that he got blessings because he was in the world... No, it's blessings to make it so that he could get it back from the world. Why is it that, that I get blessings when I start heading back toward the right direction? You ever notice that you get blessings right away when you turn around and start going his way? You got salvation the first time you turned. You got forgiveness and a restoration of fellowship every other time you turn. And you get certain blessings that come along with that. And then men think that the blessings have to continue in that abundance. 
when they don't have to continue in that abundance. The Lord gave you those blessings so you could make it back to the father's house instead of being the prodigal. He provided enough to make it so you can get home where you ought to be so that you can worship him and he can provide for your need there. But instead, people go ahead and they prey on the goodness and the long-suffering of a holy God. And they presume upon his goodness. Lord, keep me from presumptuous sins. You say, what, what kind of presumptuous sin could that be? Presuming that God's going to let you get back. Presuming that God has to get you back out of Egypt every time you go down there because you want to keep playing down there. He doesn't have to. Man, I'm preaching a lot this morning. I'm a little fired up today. Um, I'm excited for the morning service too. So, uh, But you know what God does? God goes ahead. He allows them to receive wealth from Pharaoh uh, and reminding that God could take care of him wherever he is. But the truth is that he could take care of him through any situation and he could have blessed him more if he'd have stayed where he was supposed to. You know what amazes me is the times where you and I really should be sunk but we stayed where God told us to stay and he comes through so much better than we could have ever figured. He always seems to come through even when you stay through the trouble. Nothing but the grace of God goes ahead and keeps Abram and Abram goes ahead and somehow he goes from a fall of faith right here, not trusting God, and he winds up in Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith. And as God looks back at his life, in Hebrews chapter 11, you look at Hebrews chapter 11, we covered this on Wednesday, I won't cover it all again, uh, but you get to Hebrews chapter 11, and God looks back over his life, and we know all of his faults and his failures. Abram was not, he was perfect, he wasn't even close. And God looks back at his life, and him and Sarai, and he looks back at the two of them and he goes, yeah, they wavered not. <laughs> Is he reading the same Genesis I was reading? Because I'm pretty sure they laughed at him. And their faith unwavering. I mean, these guys are so good. Uh, they didn't doubt me for a minute. <laughs> you say, what is that? That is that God imputed it onto him for righteousness. He eliminated, we know the truth, but when God looks back, he goes, yeah, but I don't see that anymore. I don't see that anymore. You know what he does? He shows that mankind is just, they're humans. And that God goes ahead and understands that even a hero of faith must be reassured of his sustaining power. That God's the one who can still go ahead and provide and take care of and meet the need. That the only reason you have the benefits and the blessings that you have is because God will give them to you. And if you stay where you're supposed to stay, he can give you better blessings. And if you do it his way, you can gain all the blessings that he wants you to have. But the truth is, when the New Testament paints the picture of Abraham and his faith, it is through a lens of grace that you and I get to see how good God can be to us, even through our failures. You realize when God looks at us, if you're saved in here this morning, he looks at us and he sees a perfect son. You and I look down and go, I'm not perfect. 
I'm not even close. And the Lord says, yeah, but I see you as my son. And all my sons are perfect. That's what he sees. If only we could live up to it. I'll tell you this, you gain as many blessings as you possibly can if you would try and live like that. And he wants to bless. He wants to give, he wants to give Abraham the blessings. What held Abram back? His lack of faith and obedience. His lack of willingness to go when he was told to go and leave behind the things he was supposed to leave behind and be where he was supposed to be and stay where he was supposed to stay. Say, what could God have given him? I don't know. It doesn't tell me. But I always know that the blessings are better when you stay where you're supposed to stay than they are when you walk away. That's, that's apparent throughout the Bible. That's, that's completely apparent. And so Abram, his life of faith ends as a great man of faith and he becomes ultimately the father of faith. And you look at him and he is the standard for what faith is supposed to be, even though we know his faith was so wavering at times. Because God looks back at him and says, yeah, that guy's my friend. That's a pretty good deal. Aren't you glad he, he, he can look past some of that stuff for you and be gracious with you, long-suffering with you, plenteous in mercies and goes ahead and forgives and says, ah, no, that's my kid. They're great. Father, I thank you for the morning. Thank you once again for your goodness and your mercies and your compassions upon us. And Father, I do pray that you would bless the, bless the Sunday school hour, that, uh, Lord, I pray that uh, you just work in our hearts and remind us of how great you are to us. And Father, we pray that you'd bless the morning service if someone comes in today without Jesus Christ as their Savior. I pray they'd understand, they'd hear, they'd heed the gospel this morning and they'd call upon Jesus Christ alone to save them. Lord, once again, we pray you'd get the praise, the honor, and the glory. Keep us safe this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.